0: Forty days after Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, he ascended into heaven to take his place at the right hand of the Father. This past Thursday was 40 days after Easter. It was the 40th day. It's the day of his ascension that we commemorate here on this Sunday. But we've got a problem with this. And the problem is our image of heaven. For so many of us here in the West, we tend to think of heaven as this place that's separated from the earth somewhere far away. And this image, it's so familiar and so obvious and so deeply rooted in the whole tradition of Western society and... In the church in the West, both the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, this image of heaven as this place separated from earth, if we're not careful, even without really thinking about it, unless we've got our wits about us, we'll fail to realize that that view of heaven is not at all in the Bible. It's unbiblical. In the Bible, heaven is not a place miles away from the earth. Heaven is God's dimension. Heaven is a dimension in the Bible, not a location. Heaven and earth, it's not terms of geography. It's two dimensions of the same reality that God loves. You see, in the Bible... Heaven is God's dimension and it intersects with ours in strange and unpredictable and uncontrollable ways. And the the key thing to realize is that throughout the Bible, and we see this in particular in the Psalms and in the book of Daniel, a portion of which Phil just read to us. We see that heaven, this is so important, is the control room of earth, of the universe. It's the control room for what happens in the world. Heaven is where earth is run from. Now, if this is not firmly in your mind, that heaven is not a place far off, but it's the dimension where God dwells that is the control room for, For the whole of reality. If this isn't firmly in your mind, then when you read passages like we've just heard, passages out of Daniel, passages out of Acts, passages like at the end of Luke's Gospel, when you hear these passages, if your assumption of heaven is out of alignment with the Bible, then you'll think the ascension means that Jesus has left, that he's gone. You'll think that the the, our Father, our Father who is in heaven, means that he's a long way off. You'll think that it means praying is some deist move where you're casting out prayers across the great void and hoping they've got enough energy or faith or fervency or whatever it is or knowledge or sovereignty, whatever your particular tradition is, to actually make it to God. But that's not it at all. The the ascension means that Jesus is in charge. That he is the ruler. Not that he is distant, but that he is present, but in a different mode now than he was present when he walked around on this earth. He's present now in the way that heaven mysteriously, strangely, unpredictably, uncontrollably intersects with the earth now obviously the ascension is a mysterious event How can a body pass out of this dimension into that dimension? Does it mean he shed his physicality and he got dispersed into the ether like some spirit? That's absolutely what it doesn't mean because it's very clear. He took his body there. Now this is weird. How does that happen? How can a body go from this dimension into God's dimension? We know that heaven is not the kind of place where we can put on a spacesuit and just travel there, but the, the mechanics of the Ascension, they elude us. We can't do the science, and yet, it really happened. There are things that are real that our science is yet able to grasp. This is one of them. We can't do the calculus. How it happened, the mechanics of it, we don't know and yet it really happened. Now remember last week, I said that the most important question about Christianity is not is it useful, not does it work. The most important question about Christianity is flat out, is it true? That's the most important question. And it is true. The ascension did happen Jesus is really seated at the right hand of the Father. He is really reigning over all things. And for those of you who don't believe this happened, or maybe you're not sure if you believe it really happened, call me. Let's talk about it. That's very important. If it's hard for you to believe, deal with that. And a good way to deal with it is to call me or Josh Defnell. He would like to help you on this one. Or Sarah, if Josh can't answer it, just give Sarah a call. But I'm not going to help you with that this morning. I'm not going to... The sermon this morning is not going to focus on helping you believe the ascension because that's important. I did that for the last couple of weeks trying to help people believe. But sometimes in church, it's good to, to watch Christians flesh out what their remarkable beliefs mean and that's what i'm going to do this morning christianity is founded not only on the moral teachings of jesus but also on the events of his life The events of Jesus' life and the moral teachings of Jesus form a single integrity. You can't tear them apart. You can't wash away the ascension and just hold on to the beautiful ethic or the beautiful push toward loving your neighbor. Listen, they are wedded together. And for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to flesh out not the moral teachings of Jesus, but the event of the resurrection, of the ascension, and how it actually really affects our lives today. This morning, I want to point out four of many ways that the historical event of Jesus' ascension affects our world today. Number one... The ascension is the sign that the Father has accepted the work of the Son. Jesus who died for us was accepted by the Father. His work of dying for us was accepted. And He is now in heaven in God's dimension presenting His once and for all offering to the Father... So that we can have continual access to the throne through the work of the Son. Listen to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Talking about Jesus. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus, since he always lives To make intercession for them. You see, the ascension is not just a way of explaining why we can no longer see Jesus. Yes, his physical appearance did come to an end. Yes, the the ascension tells us why that happened. But there's more to it than that. The ascension is how Jesus now appears before the Father... On our behalf. Jesus Christ is in heaven. Serving as our helper. Helping us to bear up under the load of trials and tribulations that we endure on this earth. I I love this passage of scripture. Listen to Romans chapter 8 verse 34. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, Jesus intercedes for us, and so we can know that every charge against us will be answered by Him in our favor, on our behalf. Because Jesus intercedes for us, we can know that His Spirit is strengthening us and enabling us. I love this passage of Scripture He is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save Ernie to the uttermost. Why? Because he ascended and is for all of eternity interceding for Ernie. Jesus ascended to be our advocate. Jesus ascended to continually apply his once and for all sacrifice to Jesse. The work of Christ is not just a past tense thing that happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus continually presents this work to the Father on our behalf. Jesus is in heaven to guarantee... That Aubrey will be saved to the uttermost. That means saved beyond all of my failings, saved beyond all of my repeated failings, saved to the uttermost, completely saved. Look, when the Bible says that Jesus passed through the heavens to be our high priest in Hebrews, this is his ascension, Jesus' ascension. He ascended so that he could serve you as your priest. As your high priest. This is something that should give you tremendous comfort and assurance. In your dark nights. That you have an advocate before the Father. And it is none other than the Son. Now that's one way Jesus' ascension affects our world today. It is, it is, it is your salvation. Salvation. This gives us great assurance. A second area of our lives that the ascension of Jesus affects is our work, our daily work. Look at it this way. The book of Acts, which like we just heard in our scripture readings this morning before the sermon, it begins with the ascension. That's the opening frame of the story Luke tells in the book of Acts. But never once does anybody in the entire book of Acts respond to the setting of the, the scene, the initial scene in that book. Never once does anybody respond to that by talking about following Jesus into heaven. That's never A logic in the book of Acts. It's never this idea, well, he's going up to heaven and one day I'll go and join him there too. This book that starts with his ascension never makes that connection. Now, it is true that those who are lovingly loyal to Christ, when we die, we go to be with the Lord in heaven. But that is merely a stopover. That's like riding a a bus from here to Houston and stopping in Birmingham. It's just a layover. It's like getting on a plane to go to Hawaii and flying through, I don't know, Louisiana. It's just, don't giggle. I mean, there's worse places you can stop over. It's intermediate. The point of Christianity is not that. The point of Christianity is not when you die going to heaven. The New Testament over and over picks up the rich teaching of the Old Testament that in the end, God will heal the whole creation and will bring those who have died in Christ, who are at rest in His presence, who are in heaven. He will bring those to what? To the earth that has been healed. Earth in heaven. Overlapping, not partially as they do now, but remarkably, completely, without any gaps. That's where the Bible says this thing is headed. The prophet Isaiah has this wonderful passage where he's talking about this and he says that... The point of God's work is for the earth to be filled with the glory of God like water covers the seas. The entire history of the world will come to a climax in the wedding of heaven and earth. That's where the, the big story of the Bible ends in Revelation 21 and 22. The history of the world will not end with saved souls being snatched up into heaven. It will end with the screen that separates heaven and earth, being removed. This world transformed and purified when Jesus returns. That's the end of the story. That's where this whole history of the earth gets summed up. This world rejuvenated and matured. This world joined to God's heavenly dimension forever. You see, when some otherworldly heaven becomes the goal of Christianity, or whatever your religion is, then you will suppose that the name of the game is to get people to get there. To that otherworldly, disembodied, immaterial place. And when that becomes the name of the game, you can too easily slip into a pattern of thinking that earthly life is merely waiting in the anteroom for the ultimate destination. Thinking that earthly life is something you just have to pass through. It's a veil of tears. Now this idea came to its, its its dominance in the high middle ages and since then it is just controlled. From Dante's Inferno to I'll Fly Away. It's controlled our stories. The stories coming out of the church. Not to mention the stories coming out of the culture. When this becomes your image, then if you're a Christian, you can, you can lose focus and think that it's wrong to focus too much energy on this earth and on your job. In on our communities. But remember, the ascension is, a, is not about Jesus leaving to another place. It's about his enthronement in what? The control room of the earth. Jesus is in charge. The Father. Here's the, This is astonishing. The image in the Bible is that the Father works through Jesus and Jesus works through his church. This is this is an amazing thing. This is how Jesus is ruling the world. How is Jesus ruling the world right now, through His children? And by the way, the way Jesus rules the world through His children is not triumphalism. It's the same way He ruled the world, through suffering, through pain. This is the way jesus kingdom is spreading and because this is so your work matters your job matters your daily affairs matter there is continuity between this world and the next world the world to come is this world perfected and matured and glorified the time between the first coming and the final coming of Jesus is the time of his reign from heaven. But things done on earth during this age of history are the material out of which he will form the final kingdom in the last day. Look, when Paul gets to the end of the longest chapter in the Bible talking about this stuff, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 is therefore your labor is labor okay is not in vain The end of the Bible Revelation 21 it ends with the kings of the earth bringing their glory to to the new heavens and the new earth what are the what's the glory of the kings of the earth it's the greatest cultural productions of a society It's our labors. As we work faithfully and diligently in our callings, this is mind-boggling, we share in Jesus' reign over the earth and over culture. So two effects of Jesus' ascension. One is our assurance and one is our work. A third area that I'll talk about this morning is the effect of the ascension on our prayer, our prayer life. If you've been around the church very long, you know that we ought to pray. You know that we try to pray and that we fail to pray. Let me show you how the event of the ascension, how this helps us to pray more fervently and more prudently and more biblically and more constantly. I've said that the way Jesus' lordship works out is through our vocations. And obviously there's a lot that, more that needs to be said to flesh that out. But here's another way that Jesus' lordship works out it is through the prayers of the church. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But being God, being rich, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One more verse, and then I'll kind of tease it out. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now here we see that we should not think of prayer as merely getting in tune with with the deep realities of the universe. And we certainly shouldn't think of prayer as trying to invoke or cajole or bribe or placate God to get favors for ourselves. We shouldn't think of prayer as calling across the void to some distant deity. Ephesians 2 In Colossians 3, both of these passages reinforce a central teaching of Christianity. God's children are in union with Christ. Time and time again, the New Testament teaches us that to be a Christian is to be united with Christ. And where is Christ right now? Before the throne of God as a high priest, making intercession with us for us. The fundamental issue of prayer in the Bible is that prayer, and I am not overstating this, prayer is the primary way God invites us to share in His total rule over creation. Prayer is the primary way that God invites us to share in His total rule over His creation. The ascension assures us of our place in God's cabinet of counselors. We are in Christ, who is before the Father, making intercession. You see, at the ascension, when the Father welcomed His victorious Son into His presence, He welcomed us as well. And because the Son is right now before the Father, our prayers are joined to His and presented to the Father through His mediation. This week, I was kneeling in my office facing north. I was praying for you. And I was overwhelmed by this idea that as I'm kneeling there praying for you, I am in the heavenlies, in the Son, before the Father, that my prayers are being joined to His, and He's presenting them to the Father. Because we are in Christ, we have been brought near to God. And so we can rest assured that He hears our pleas, and He will answer, and He will act in accordance with His love and wisdom. We are sharers in Christ's ascension. And nowhere is this more practical and experiential than in our prayers. We pray because God acts differently if we don't pray. And the reason He listens to us is because we are in His Son. Now this is utterly astonishing. Because we are in union with Christ in some mysterious way, the church shares in Christ's rule over all things through her prayers. So in a few minutes, when we're called to pray for our nation, and we're called to pray for this community, pray. Pray with with faith. Believe that what you're praying is God's foreordained method of ruling through His Son. For his glory. The church has this unthinkable power. Because the God of the entire universe has deemed it so. Now just like with the ascension. Whether you can work out the science of it or not. Go for it. Some of you can't work out the science of an internal combustion engine... ...but you still get in the car, turn on the keys and go for it. Some of you, your rationalism... ...your views of sovereignty are miscalibrated... ...to the point where you don't really pray. And if your view of the sovereignty of God undercuts your prayer life... It's your view of the sovereignty of God that's wrong, not his sovereignty. In his sovereignty, he exercises his authority through this room praying. Risky, (laughs) but that's what he's done. Like a good husband, the father listens to his bride. In the ascension season, season we have this chance to relearn some lessons that the, that the church has too frequently forgotten here in the West. May our praying and our working and our confidence be focused in a fresh way because of Jesus Christ, our risen and ascended and glorified Lord. Amen.